Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. This week I'm joined by Tim Wormsley, who is the founder of a business called Benchon. Now, Tim is a retired army major and worked most of his professional life in the defence sector. He came across a problem working for companies carrying out big contracts. When you're in between contracts, your staff aren't being utilised and often businesses shut down and people lose their jobs. That's the problem. So he created a solution. And what he did by creating that solution, he built a marketplace to outsource staff from one company where they got no work to short-term contracts with other companies who need short-term staff. So he did a matching deal and he built a digital marketplace that sat in the middle that matched the two parties. Bottom line is he's able to keep people employed. They're happy because they're getting paid wages. The employer, their employer, they're happy because they don't lose a staff member because they know the staff member is going to come back over a period of time. And on the other side, the company who needs the employee, they get them for the short-term contract without having to pay them for the rest of their lives. I want to talk to you about what the business model is for Benchon. What are the things he needs to do to protect both sides of the transaction? and how he needs to keep the employees that are being moved around from business to business, needs to keep them happy too. It's a pretty good idea. It has a high intellectual conceptual value and there's a lot of logic involved, but once we break through all that, you'll find that this is a business model that fits fairly and squarely within the way the world is emerging, the way the world for employment is changing. So I think it's really important to get your head around it because I'm sure there are other business opportunities that are going to fly off the back of this once you listen to it. So let's get into it. Tim Wormsley, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Now, now mate, tell me, well, first off, I mean, your business is called Bench On. I mean, it sounds like something was <laughs> like sort of in the gym or something, but what's it mean? I get that Where did that come from? Yeah, um, so the idea is that it's about uh, getting employees off the bench, which is a term in consulting areas where they're not actually on a contract or a project. So um, I actually wanted the name of the company to be on the bench in, in the start, but every sporting show out there calls themselves on the bench. So uh, we went for something a little bit more creative, which is Bench On. A lot like, you know, carry on or soldier on you can bench on yeah right okay so like it's a bit like in other words what you're saying is because the sort of tent i'm going to get you to describe the business in a minute or more importantly i'm going to get you to uh, tell us what the problem was that you saw and how you solved it Mm -hmm. um which is how most businesses start up but i presume what you're saying what the name says i should say is that um an employee has been benched Mm mm-hmm 
that's sort of, in other words, there's nothing for them to do for a period of time. Right. Is that Just how? like in a sporting term, yeah. they're sitting on the bench. They're yeah, available. They're not They're not playing the game. Yeah, yeah. They're so benched. so let's, let's get them off the bench and, and, and creating value for your business. Okay, so... Tell me where this idea came from. Like, I mean, I like every good idea, good business, uh, particularly when it comes to internet-based businesses or, you know, um, marketplace-type businesses, which is what you've got. There's a problem and there's a solution. What was the problem? Uh, the problem was um, underutilization of employees. So I was working as an executive in the defence industry and I saw this company that had developed um, a very niche team of three engineers that had been trained up specifically for one government project. Um, they won that. They weren't spies or something, were they? No, no, nothing that exciting. I mean, it sounds like defence. It sounds like we're going to sort of build a bomb or something. <laughs> no, no, nothing no, no. that exciting. Um, and so they they trained these people up. They won the contract. It was going to be a ten year um, project for them. Um, everyone was very excited. At the end of that first year, when they were coming up to contract renewal, the government had a budgetary issue, as they often do, uh, and they said, we have to pause this contract for two months. Can I ask you to pause for a second? And I think it's really important just to tell the audience here for something, which I, and I've only recently observed this over the last couple of years, but when you win a government contract, you get all excited because it's a 10-year deal. Mm. But effectively, it gets renewed every year based on what their budgetary constraints are because, you know, change of government could just say, we're not doing that anymore. Right. I mean, not always does it happen, but this sort of thing happens a lot, doesn't it? Well, no government's going to commit to 10 years of a, con- you know, well, yeah. they, try, they try not to. They it try sounds to exciting, li- though, but yeah. it's not that. It is exciting if it happens, but it's not that exciting. And it happens in, in um, private enterprise too, the private sector as well. I mean, you know. Someone could run out of money. They could say, listen, we're going to do our first years here and then we're going to, we need to raise some money to do the second and third and fourth year. And if you can't raise money in the second and third and fourth year, stop. That's it. So yeah. this happened. Yeah, go on. Yeah, what so, so they said, look, we need to put a two-month delay on it. The company turned around and said, well, we can't keep those three engineers on the bench. We need to find something for them to do, get them on a short-term contract. The reason why they can't keep the three engineers on the bench is because they've got to pay their wages. Right. They, they, they were like $180,000 salaries, mm. uh, which is a lot of cash flow coming out of the business. So they said, we can't afford that. Find something. Pay, paid work for them for that two months. Um, the company couldn't. They, they went through all their networks. They begged, borrowed, like, anyone, please take these staff on. Uh, no, they couldn't do it. So they had to put those staff on unpaid leave. And those three people had mortgages and kids. They couldn't go two months without pay. So they went and got new jobs. Um, six weeks later, the government came back to the company and said, we're ready to go. And the company said, well, we don't have the people anymore. So... The, the situation was that that small business lost three valuable employees, which they knew and uh, knew well and, and liked having, and they were high-quality people. They lost a 10-year government opportunity, and then the government project was delayed by 18 months because they had to wait for another company to train up a team to do exactly what the first company was doing. So, so they lost it was, it was a lose-lose-lose situation. That <laughs> didn't make sense to me, um, and it didn't sit right. And then I was sitting in a large organisation's sourcing department where they look for talent to support their projects. And one of the guys slammed the phone down and he said, bloody government, you know, I told them six weeks ago they were going to need systems engineers for this task and now they ring me and say they need systems engineers this afternoon. And he went, I just don't have a bench of high-quality professionals just sitting here waiting for a phone call from the government. And that was where the light came on, which was, I know where they are. They're sitting inside other companies hurting their cash flow. Um, If only I could match them up, which is exactly what Benchon does. Um, how did how was it you actually experienced the first problem? In other words, where, what was your position in relation to the uh, job that was delayed for six weeks? I mean, how was it you were sitting there observing 
what this engineering company could no longer do. Were you like working for the government or what was No, it? no, I was working for a, um, a US aerospace engineering consulting company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was their director of strategy and business development for Australia. Um, and this was a company that was working very closely with us, someone that I had a, a good relationship with. Was it like Lockheed or someone like that? No, no, no one that big. <laughs> no, this is a small business, right? Yeah. So we're talking, you know, 20 people or so across the country. Um, but how was it you were observing this um, this, this uh, delay from the government? What was your role? Um, so we were working on the project uh, with, as well as, uh, as, well as this yeah. other one. Yeah. So uh, and and in business development, it's all about relationships, and you develop relationships with other people. And you developed you know, a relationship with this engineering company, right? Yeah. And then yeah, and, and then, you saw the shit they were going through, right? And and, and then that's when because you know I'm a curious person, I like yeah. to learn, and seeing something that's a complete lose 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 situation, I wanted to find out. What, how that happened. And, and then you flipped it around. You're working then on the supply side. So you're working on the side where you're working for a recruiting agency or whatever the – I mean, what are the words for it? The- um, so so I, my company that I was working for, the aerospace yeah. engineering company, I was actually inside a larger organisation trying to win a contract for our business. Right. And that's when I heard them say that I don't have a bench of bench. people. Right. And I was like, well, I knew a guy that two weeks ago had a bench of three engineers, like – Surely there's others out there. Did you that say that to him? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. You did, know. You said it was just. It was, it, that's yeah, when yeah, the light yeah, came yeah. on, and and, I, and, and and I always find it fascinating. I mean, ha- I mean, were you laying in bed at two o'clock in the morning? We thought this, or did you think it immediately when the guy said, "I don't have a bench of people here ready to go off and do a job." I mean, how did that? It didn't come on straight away. It was right. like I, I, I think I had some sort of offhanded thought. It was like, oh yeah, I, I know they're probably out there in other businesses, and you just can't find them. And then how I was long actually- before? How, sorry, I, I, sorry, Tim, but I, I want to know. But how long was it, or how long did it take? for you to actually say, you know what, I, I reckon I could sort this shit out. It was that night. So that I was night. sitting at my desk doing some work and uh, I had a lamp on. I was in a dark room and it was just it just hit me then and I ran outside to my wife and I was jumping around like an excited monkey going, oh, my God, I've got it. And she looked at me nodding in her supportive way, not having a clue what I was talking about. Um, and that's sort of – and then I ran back in and I wrote a business plan that night. So it is sort of niche um, in some respects, is around contractors. That that part of it's a bit of a niche. But mm. I'm always curious as to people like you. Um, you just said you got really excited, and I know the answer. <laughs> you know, this is what you're saying to your wife. Are you the person, sort of person, who's always looking for some opportunity? I mean, were you out there thinking, I'm looking for something to change my current life, my current job description, I'm working in business development for this aerospace company, um, I want to do something different, I want to run it myself, I want to be in charge, I mean, or is that something you're always looking for? Is that how it happened? Is that, is that what you said, I know what the answer is? Is no, that why you got so excited? So, so if, I, I loved my job, I was really, really happy, I worked for a great company, um, they, I had a good wage, I good flexibility, like I wasn't looking for an out. Um, but I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial streak. Well, you're looking for an up as opposed to I was to just, I, I get excited by better ways of doing things and new ideas. And I always had that in my, through my life in the army, I still came up with business ideas throughout that time. I just never executed them. Um, and then when I had this one, it was just too good an idea not to progress. Well, why did you think it was, why is it more exciting? Why was it more exciting to you than anything else you'd seen? I mean, what was the element that sort of, slapped you across the face or is it just a matter of maturity? I mean, what was it that was different this time compared to it's, it's, previous times? It's the power of this model, right? So if you if you look at 
if you look at that situation that, that I just described before, the power of that model is if they could keep those employees and, and uh, you know, keep them on, they've, they've, they've not only kept their employees, but they've grown their business through opportunity. And, and I mean, employees are, are, are a company's capability, right? They bring value to the company. And what this does is allows companies to maximise the return on that value you know, so that they can grow their business sustainably. And hold that value. And hold that value. And they can grow their business sustainably and then hire more people. Now, if your people who are your capability are fully employed and bringing in the most revenue possible, then that increases your cash flow and allows you to hire more people, giving your company more capability and allowing you to achieve more revenue. But at that that time, I get it, at that time, I understand the concept, but at that time it was an intellectual concept because... Um, what was it that sits behind the intellect? I mean, do you have this um, sense that businesses who are contractors to be able to retain their hard-fought-for employees and well-trained employees and high-quality employees is... I mean, what, what, what's your... What's the emotional, the philosophical thing that sits behind all this that got you excited? I mean, or is it just you think there's a quid in it? No, 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 no. Okay, so... Um I often, and, and since I started this company, I get these phone calls all the time. I talk to business owners who, there are two options in the downturns when there's not enough work on, is either they let go of their staff, which reduces their capability, and, and no business owner likes to do that, no, likes to let go of someone that they've come to know and trained and mentored and put so much value into, or they try and do the right thing by their employees, they keep them on the bench and try, do everything they can to find them the work, and then they financially cripple their company. Yep. And I saw so many small businesses but shutting down. that's the down. logic, Tim. So, tell me, what, what is the emotion behind it, though? I mean, that, I get it, because I mean, what I'm trying to dig into here is what is it drives you to... Um, feel so strongly and get so excited about um, this logic? I mean, what is your philosophical background? Like, I mean, are you uh, a kid growing up who doesn't like people to lose their jobs because they can't all of a sudden pay for their mortgage and they've got a, they've got a problem? Or are you um, so interested in business owners and business owners being um, successful be, um, as a result of something? I mean, what, what, what is it in your background that drives you to be so enamoured by this intellectual concept? Um, like I said, I like, I like, I get excited by new ideas and better ways of doing things. And um, I've always had this, um, I guess, red flag that pops up anytime someone says that's, that's the way it's always been done or that's just the way it is. Um, and that's immediate red flag to me that I have to look into why, and find why, out why. Why? What, where did that come from? So that was from my army training. Um, right. in, in, well, tell so, me about that, your army training. Yeah, so I, I joined uh, the Royal Military College in 2003 um, to, to train to be an officer in the army. Is that um, in Duntroon? Is that... Duntroon, yep. yep. Um, and I joined, I joined the army then. I was in artillery, um, so I was in uh, air defence um, in, in the early days and then I moved into surveillance and target acquisition and eventually uh, we, we was working with drones in the army. Um, one of the things that they teach you as an officer is to never accept when a soldier says that, oh, that's just the way it's done, boss, or that's the way we've always done it. Because the first thing that does is it means that that soldier doesn't understand why you, we're doing a certain practice, which is dangerous. And secondly, it's a, a, a way for soldiers to pull the wool over your eyes and just go, don't worry about that. That's, that's just the way we do it, boss. As know? an officer. As an officer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So you immediately look into it, and that's drilled into you right from the start. You need to know exactly why things are done and work out the best way to achieve it. Because in the Army, you, if you don't achieve your mission, people can die, you know? And, and it's, it's vitally important that you do things right, correct, and the best way possible with the resources you have. And isn't that the same as business? You know, you've got a certain amount of resources you need to achieve. Oh, except in business, we, get, we can get a bit comfortable. 
Right. Uh, you know, and we keep doing it because we're comfortable with money. It's come, like take the banks, for example. It's mm. the best example. We've got a Royal Commission at the moment. Mm. The bank's been doing the things for the same way for a long time because the money's just flowing in and they're all making shitloads of dough and they're all paying themselves big bonuses and, uh, you know, they pay great dividends to their shareholders and the, it, they don't even have to tell it work. It just works anyway because most of it's electronic money just flows. Right. So... It doesn't always happen in business, although every now and then they get a wake-up call. Right. Small business, though, on the other hand. Yeah. That's definitely the case. Right. Small business is always trying to find a way to, well, they should be always trying to find a way to do better. Because mm. if you keep doing the same shit all the time, you're going to get the same outcomes. Especially in this day and age with technology changing so fast, you've got to innovate, be agile and move quickly. So let's go back to the soldier thing, because, I mean, I think, well, not so, the military training. For a start, I guess there's a difference between an officer and a soldier. Mm-hmm. And so the military training that you had as an officer was always being an inquirer. Yes. Yeah. And always test. Test everything. Does that make sort of, can that sort of make you like a bit, um, sort of develop a bit of uh, insubordinate sort of behaviour? In other words, are they sort of saying to you, uh, I'm, I'm sort of thinking Tom Cruise here, uh, uh, you, you sort of... Uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, do you get to a point where they're sort of saying to you, hey, on one hand, I want you to be curious and question everything, mm. but on the other hand, don't you fucking buck the system because, <laughs> you know, I'm your direct report and you do what I tell you. Right. How, how do they balance that shit up? Yeah, you have to follow orders, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, what happens if someone says, do an order, orders you to do something, and, and you say, no, but yeah, whatever, well, yes, sir, whatever you have to say, but however you address it, your immediate report, yes, sir, but I've got a problem with that because I think it could be done a better way. Are you allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah, of course. You are. But that officer then who is your boss has the right to then go, yes, I've heard your comments and I'm choosing to disregard them. Continue with Do they order. actually say it like that? Well, you know, they just go, thanks, thanks for that, but no, we're still doing it this and way. And what do you think? Is that, this is ridiculous. Someone's going to get hurt. What do you do then? Oh, well, then you would... You would um, Can you, you elevate would, you would, you would, Yeah, you would strongly insist or go above if you had to. But if, Can you I elevate mean, it? Yeah, you if, you, to? if you go then to your... Is that career ending or... Uh, let's say, yeah, well, depending on the boss, I guess. <laughs> so if, let's say you're a captain, you go to your major and say, hey, there's, I don't think we should do it that way. Someone's going to get hurt. And they go, no, that's the way it's happening. I mean, yes, you could go then to your commanding officer, who's a lieutenant colonel, and say, I've got grave concerns about this. I think someone's going to get hurt. But you'd want to have a pretty good reason to, yeah, well, to I mean, go I guess, around. I'm you know. assuming you do have one. But yeah. I mean, like, because if were you the sort of guy at school who uh, used to always uh, query the teachers and what happened? <laughs> yeah. Were you? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, yes. I was I was always the one who was... was I, did, I, don't, I, ch- I don't accept things at face value. Right. I, and and, and did someone uh, sort of direct you, say, listen, you're, you're this type of person, Tim Wormsley. Um, what I'd like you to do, is, what I th- reckon you should do vocationally is actually go into the military. Did, how did that all happen? <laughs> actually, the military came out of nowhere. I was, I was working in hospitality. I, I was uh, running bars on the Gold Coast. Um, and my girlfriend at the time said, I think I'm going to join the army. And so I was looking through all the, the pamphlets and everything and I thought it looked really cool. You know, back, I was, you know, early 20s. I was thinking, hey, this, I could be like James Bond. Look at this guy. Like, look at all the stuff he's doing. And so I went, okay, well, look, I'm not interested in the army, but I'll apply with you so that I can give you support. And I did that and I ended up getting in and she didn't. <laughs> That's the end of the relationship. <laughs> yeah, that, actually, I married her, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... That was it. I, I had no, I had no real intention or desire to get into the military, but except for the fact that that was around the time of you know September 11 and all those sorts of things. So I felt like I had a duty. Yeah. Um, but 
I was and it's pre- cool too. Yeah, but yeah. I was pretty happy in in hospitality. You know, partying nights and sleeping all day, and it was it was fun for an early, early yeah, yeah, you know, totally early twenties. Well, but I guess you got to you got to grow up at some stage in your life, which is what I mean. I'm always saying to my kids, but um, when 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 once you because I mean I I just want to dig a little bit further into sort of the thing that formed the basis of your skill base mm. um, in terms of always questioning things. What it seems as though is that the officer training in the military sharpened your curiosity to actually ask questions in a more relevant and logical way. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and that's something they work on. That That's actually a, a, you know, one of the uh, main skills you get out of joining the officers or the military courses, I, I presume. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They teach you the, the they teach you how to think, not what to think. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think you join the army, they turn you into a robot that just spits out the army's policies and stuff. It's not. They teach you how to think through the most complex issue possible, break it down into an actionable plan, and then achieve that plan within your resource limit. Within your resource, yeah, right. And 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 dr- just drones. I, I, well, I love yeah. drones. Yeah. Um, uh, can we just sort of just jump a little bit on the side here and just talk about drones for a second? Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about the drones, that, not the drones that we see people flying around with little cameras on them above you know, my house in uh, where I live. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. Trying to get a photograph of me walking around with my pants <laughs> on or something. But we're talking. The sort of drones we're talking about here is uh, like the the drones that sort of. Those big bastards that sort of flying over Iraq right. or wherever is that? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So when I They're when cool. I, when we introduced them first in like because Australia didn't have drones back then, we introduced them into the army first. Um, and there was one which was called the Skylark, which was a handheld um, launch one. You launch it by hand. Yeah, um, and then there was the Scan Eagle, which is a you know. Two meter wide wingspan. It's that's a real big fucker. It's launched off a catapult. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like a, Like you mean like a like old school catapult type deal. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I mean, not like the you know the flick up. No, like a, a pneumatic. Um, yeah, uh, but catapult same concept can, though. Right. Exactly. It yeah, just yeah. it just something shoots it and it yeah, pushes yeah. it off into the sky. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what has that got sort of underneath it or on? Can you tell uh, it was it was purely a surveillance system. Just so it had yeah. it had uh, day and night cameras and, and and those sorts of things, so that it could it could do. Uh, surveillance of an area or a route or a, a building or something like that, and no one below would know. All radio that controlled. Happened. Yeah, all, all yeah, all controlled from a you know a ground control station, which the pilot's sitting in a well protected bunker, you know, flying around. Did you, you know. ever go at this stuff? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was trained up in it. Yeah, and, and do they? Did you have to sort of go overseas to train, or do they do the training here? Like. I actually just missed out. Like the first two or three teams that trained up all got to go to the States for 16 weeks, wow. you know, and, and get trained. And it was amazing. And they all had a great time. And I was the very next one that they moved the training to Australia. That's and I had shit. to go out to Puckapunyal in the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> Puckapunyal, that's yeah. where uh, the Viet- Vietnam vets uh, or the Vietnam guys were all uh, inducted. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they still have an army base out there at the moment where they do all the training. Um, and yeah, um, I, I got trained there. So. I so you didn't, didn't get my jolly over over in the US. You'd be you know? a scary neighbor to have, like uh, if you were pissing you off, like you'd be up there <laughs> taking photographs of, and I wouldn't even know. <laughs> How high can a drone go? Just out of interest. Uh, um, so can I? I can't see one. You wouldn't see it. Yeah. No. Um, d- the smaller ones you would. Yeah. Um, but this one had a range of a say, you know, hundred kilometers that it could fly, and it would be sitting at around sort of you know five six thousand feet. Yeah, so you got no chance of seeing it. You wouldn't see it. So cool. Yeah. All right, let's get back to business. Now. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to the podcast. Okay, so. Um, I, uh, I, I guess what I wanted to establish in our first half, because we've got to go to a break like everybody and have a, talk to our sponsors, but 
I just want to want, want to establish in the first half with our audience is that your concept, your business bench on, um, was about is it is sort of like a placement business. I don't want to undermine it, but it's a, a placement business where mm-hmm. people can place businesses can place their staff during downtime in order to allow them to keep their staff in mm. the uptimes. But at the same time, on the flip side, on the other side of the transaction, uh, the uh, the entity who needed your the, the staff, um, who can't find staff, can find some staff just for a short period of time, for whatever that period of time might be, just as, and job specific. And what you did, you solved this problem and you did it by building a little marketplace in the middle, like a little wholesale marketplace with a, a programming and, um, you know, a digital, digital marketplace. Mm-hmm. And what? And you got that idea just observe, by observing the problem, right? And, and then, just by asking those questions, like and doing something about it, right? And not just sitting on your ass. You you actually and what? Because what I'm always trying to understand, what I'm trying to get through our audience is, what was the thing? Because a lot of people see these problems, a lot of people come up with these ideas and solutions, but they don't do anything about it. And I often wonder whether it's because they just, someone does the difference between someone doing something about it and someone not doing something about it, even though they have an idea for the solution. The difference I think always is that someone gets intellectually excited. Right. And you, you run up to the edge of the cliff and you say, fuck it, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump, see what happens. Right. And I think that comes when you realise there's no roadblocks standing in front of you. Like when, I, like I said, I had, I had probably three or four business ideas while I was in the military and... I'd get an idea, I'd get excited and I'd play it through and I'd write a business plan and I'd go, is this going to work here, here and here? And as soon as I hit a roadblock, I'd go, okay, that's done. Too hard. And, I, and I'd, put it, I'd put it aside. Yeah, too hard. Um, this one, no matter what I did, I couldn't find a roadblock. Like there was, it, it, just, it just kept all lining up and, it, uh, and that's why I said, well, I have to do this. If I don't do it, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. So for people who are thinking <clears throat> that they've got a solution to a problem, did you... Do you go and test for all the roadblocks? In other words, did you, did you sit and say, okay, what are the potential roadblocks? Where could someone bring me undone here? Mm. Did you do that? Yeah, I did. And I, I think that's what made this setup so robust for business owners. I went, okay, if companies are going to start sharing their staff to maximise, you know, to smooth out the peaks and troughs in industry, how's that going to work? Well, what happens? I mean, a company's going to want to share their staff with their competitors? No, they're not. So now we've got a, a conflict of interest gate built into the process where we make sure that companies aren't matched to their competitors before any information shared. Okay, this stuff's good. I'm going to come back. I want to talk about this when I come back from the break. We'll talk about this in a moment. Okay. Well, we're back from the break and I'm here with Tim Wormsley, uh, pronounced W-A-R-M-S-L-E-Y, <laughs> but he's got an L in there as well somewhere. Wait, my, dad, my dad would fight that because he, he's trying to tell me now that it's Wormsley and I'm like, you can't just change the name we pronounce our name, you know, after, all these years. after 37 years, you know. Well, that's, because, that's because people are talking about it. See, he, he probably never thought about it before, but now you know, people are talking about it and it's important. And, he, and Tim's the founder of a business called Benchon and Benchon, he's a... I don't want to undermine it. It's a placement business, but it's much more complex than that. And what I want to, and you know, we've talked about in the first half. You want to hear about it in the first half? Go back to the first half. We talked about what the things that motivated him. Where did he get his skill base? Where did he get his curiosity from, etc. Now I want to sort of talk about more hard stuff. Um, you know, hard edge stuff, and that's really about the business. So when you sat down and worked out the barriers for people to want to use Benchon, in other words, uh, both the supplier of the contractor, mm-hmm. the staff member, and or the um, requester of the staff member, what were the sort of things that you were worried about? What did you sort of perceive could be blockages why people may not want to use this 
business called Bench On. Mm. And it's and and this is why now when I when I speak to new potential clients, the the questions that immediately come from them are, are we've worked through all these. So the you know the first one uh, was well if I put my staff out, they won't come back. Yeah, you know, yeah. they'll just stay at the Someone other will poach them. Someone will poach them. So yeah, yeah. employee poaching was a big one. So, totally. So we've now got three levels of protection for employee poaching. So it's in the it's in the contract. There's a 360 degree rating system. You know, what's um, that mean? Uh, so that you know, much like Uber, you know, when you get in an Uber, mm-hmm. you rate the driver, the driver rates you. Yep. And that's created a, a better behaviour, I guess, when people are taking Ubers as opposed to taxis, where it's anonymous. Um, so we do that as well for businesses now, so that if a business does do something underhanded, you know, or, or pays their invoices, you know, 60 days late or whatever, there's a there's a rating system that that other company can give them to say, well, you're not doing business the way I expect. And they can then rate back. So it creates better behaviour in business, which is what we're all looking for anyway. Um, and this is a good example where if you're trying to set up a business and you're, or a business model, um, there's nothing wrong with borrowing ideas from other good models at work. And this is an example where people borrow. borrow yeah. I mean, there's no patent on the idea and uh, that's, a good, that's a good one to have. That's exactly it. And we did that. We looked at all, all different types of business models and chose the best solutions we saw to make um, this to work. To resolve your problems. Yeah. To resolve right. your potential problems or potential blockages. So, because um, poaching is a big issue. What I would be worried about is I put in a really good employee up onto the, or oh, sorry, don't put them up onto your bench on onto your website, but I, I, uh, I give you the brief, mm. give bench on the brief of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would be worried about is, you know, someone on the other side who's going to employ my employee or contract my employee for a period of whatever it is, six weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it is. I'd be worried that they're going to knock them off. So, because I put a lot of time and investment into my employee right. and the whole purpose of me putting them on there so I don't lose them. Right. So that's re- exactly right. Yeah. Cause I can employ them. I say, you know what, Mark? You know the the mob I mean, working for they're fucking fantastic. They've got really good, uh, really good office environment. They got, you know maybe they, you know, have music pipe through the joint that's really cool, and you don't have to work Friday afternoons. I don't know, but uh, how do you how do you deal with that? Like, how do you protect your people? How yeah. do you protect both sides? Well, so there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Like, what do you do now for those companies that do consulting and they put their staff out? The their only thing to stop employee poaching is the relationship they have with that company and hoping that that company is not going to do the, the wrong thing. You've got to be better. Yeah. And so what we do is put three additional layers of protection on that, which is in the contract, the rating system, and then the non-disclosure agreement for the resume um, to, to provide those additional barriers to that other company then stealing the employee. So, so, so the, the first one is, is there a non-poach Non-poaching. Non-poaching clause. clause. So six months from the end of the contract, yep. they are not allowed to solicit that employee to do... Um, that, for, for a period of six months. For a period of six months from the end of the contract. Right. So, right. yeah. What, what happens if the employee just says, I wasn't solicited, I just want to go? Right. And and a, a lot of companies ask me that as well. And, and you say, okay, well, that can happen anyway. to any of your employees. Yeah, so if your you employee's know? likely to do that, they're probably already looking out there. You should, be, you should be looking internal to say, how can I make my employees happier and want to stay here? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, one, no company out there is going to solve that for you. Okay. So you know? Sorry, that's the first one. The second, the second one was again? Uh, so the rating system yep. to, to pro- provide better behaviour. And then the, the final one is um, the non-disclosure agreement. So well, What does an NDA do? What's a non-disclosure agreement mean? What's that mean? So what it says is if I give you this document, under this non-disclosure agreement, you are not allowed to disclose what's in this document to any other party unless I have given you express permission. And who, do you, and who signs a non-disclosure agreement? Uh, who signs every, it? every 
everybody, every company that signs up to Benchon signs yep. our standard non-disclosure agreement, which means any any information you give to Benchon, like your employee resumes, their their rates, or or your job descriptions, um, all of that is held securely in Benchon, right. and we will only release that information to the other party. Once you've approved that other party, and secondly, it's only for the purpose of matching you two together. Is it a read-only system, or do they need to get to read it, or do you get actually actually release a copy of it to them? No, we can release a copy because often a company will need to take that resume and then go down to the project team and say, "Is this the right person?" Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, so so they need to be able to use that information, but it's done so under that protective barrier where all companies know that everybody that's transacting through Benchon is all covered under the same. Right, non-disclosure. Got that. So, so you, the, one of the questions that always gets asked of you is, by the requesting company, um, how do I? But not the requesting. So, the supplying company, how do I protect my employees? Mm-hmm. So, what what are the questions the requesting companies want to know? I mean, I mean, for example, yep, um, I'm requesting to get two engineers. I go on to bench on two engineers. I find two engineers because you know I go through the process. Those two engineers come over to me and. Um, they now see my project. They now they start reading docs. They start seeing. Right, how do what I protect I'm, my IP? How do I protect my IP? How, what, how, how do I know that you know these guys aren't going to go off and work, go back in six weeks' time to work for the company that they originally came from, and then they get reassigned to a competitor? Right. So um, we work with companies in those situations to make sure that we provide you know that they've got the best protection now we don't get involved in the actual subcontract between the two companies but we advise them if it is on a project that has um, you know critical in IP that they that they put in additional layers of protection like they have a, a project specific non-disclosure agreement that they've contracted in whatever clauses they have to protect that or ring fence ring, yeah. ring fence them somehow and, and yeah black box that area yeah, yeah. from these external people you know and and oftentimes companies if they are building something that is their competitive advantage they're not going to bring in external help to do that. They'll yeah. use their own internal team and they'll use external people to do the other jobs the around that. The peripheral stuff. Yeah. That's just sort of something. Yeah, okay. So basically what you're saying though is you, you would, you not, I don't know whether you advise the the, the um, requesting company, but you go back to them, I presume, just say, look, you, you want to make sure that, um, and do you, should you, do you like give them like a narrative that sort of that says, um, just be careful if you are doing these things. I mean, I get, because I mean, I wonder if you are a duty of care. Hmm. Yeah, we do, and yeah. uh, depending on the business. So let's say because uh, we've got some we've got some global corporates on there at the moment. Most of those global corporates don't need me to be telling them how to be doing their business. They're very very good at it. Now, I understand, but do you do have a duty of care though? Do, do right. you do it anyway? So let's say, yeah, we do. So we talk through um, we talk through the contracts with with those companies and make sure that we're getting them the right person because we have to try and make sure that that's the right fit. If it's a small business that's never done this before, then we help them set up their contract and and provide them advice on how to do that and what clauses they should be having and how do they should protect themselves. Same thing on the company supplying. You need to be looking through your employee agreements to make sure that you can actually subcontract out your staff, um, that that you can do that legally. So, so do the staff are like this. You're right. That, that's an important one. The supply company, the company who I would, you know, let's say I'm working for a company, then all of a sudden they say, oh, Mark, the next week, by the way, we've got no work for you, but you're going to go and work for Tim's company. Mm. Um I was like, wow, what the fuck? Like, what am I, how do they sort of get around that shit? Yeah, well, that's the other thing. They go, well, what do the employees think about this? Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's and it's like, well, okay. There's also a couple of things to do here. Often it's it's either the difference between I'm going to let you go or I need to put you out on this contract, mm. you know. And so when an employee is faced with that, um, it's an it's a fairly easy decision. Um, it might be interesting too. They might say, "Okay, that's cool." 
Right. Oh, we exactly. might do something different. Exactly. So I've done it with my staff as well. I put my staff out and <coughs> it, it, what's interesting is that it's the flip side. They see it as my company's invested in them. I've, I'm saying to my employee, I don't want to let you go. Like I see you as a valuable asset to my business, so I'm going to use this innovative approach to keep you on. Sure, you'll have to work at another company for three months doing a task, but you'll get new experiences, you'll work on projects that you never would have worked on before, you'll gain new networks, um, and then you come back refreshed. You know, I'm sure we've all been in jobs where you're sitting in a cubicle for the same cubicle for two years at a time and it becomes mundane and demotivating. What if we put you out for three months on a brand new a brand new project with another company, you come back and you're like, wow, that was amazing, ready to go. You know, you're, you're not just in your normal daily grind. It's it's broken it up. It's It works actually as professional development and we've got a lot of companies that use it solely for professional development of their employees. What's the biggest complaint? The biggest, impla- uh, complaint, the biggest from- complaint from, let's say, the employees who you're sort of, like the, the, the chessboard, like the employees you're moving around from one place to another place. What, what's their biggest complaint? Um, we do get those employees that are like, no, this is my job. This is my desk. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to work on the other side of yeah. town. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, I work ten. You know, live ten minutes from my work. Yeah, travel. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. It's like not, not convenient for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, it, we we recommend to all of our clients that they have employee buy-in. You don't ever want to force an employee to do yeah. this. You just give them the options. And is it mostly we're talking about? Are we are we talking about mostly sort of professional type people like engineers, accountants? Um, you know, uh, builders, you know, yeah, developers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it it's really started out on the white-collar, highly qualified, highly experienced type positions like that, logisticians, project managers, developers, um, all, all of those things. It's now there's a lot more blue-collar in there now because construction um, is, is a big one where they have this problem. Um, any, any industry that is contract-based, essentially, and what we're seeing is the majority of our industries are becoming contract-based. You know, everyone's doing things by projects oh, totally, now. T- totally, because yeah. you don't have to carry the, the, the variable cost. Right. So if all of our... That's why we're seeing this mass casualization in these high, high fields as well, is because companies are just like, well, I'm only hiring for this contract and then I'm going to let you go. No, it's, it's, well, look, it's not only... It's, it's, it, um, in a um, structural sense, it's a, a big issue in Australia. We keep talking about the unemployment numbers at 5.3 and then a Reserve Bank only last Tuesday said they expected to go to 5%. But what they're not talking about is the underemployed mm. segment. Yep. And the underemployed is what I mean by that is those people who are casualised and um, they might be working you know, only three days a week or they might only be working six weeks in every 10 weeks or whatever mm. the case may be. That's underemployment. And that's a r- relevant... Uh, dynamic or relevant number. Uh, dynamic is probably a better thing to put up in terms of our productivity as a as a nation and our gro- gro- gross domestic product. And I actually quite like it, to be frank with you. I I like the concept of casualisation. I actually think, really? yeah, I do. I think it's a good thing. I I think that's where we're going to end up. You know, as a, as a nation, as a as a global as in the globe, because jobs are. Going, it's not. There won't be as many people who are on full time employment for a full year. There's going to be more people who are going to be um, working on projects, project style things, um, and because there's a lot of stop and start going on in in the, in the economies today. And I think there will be a new underemployed um, sector who are looking for exactly what you're providing. Um, somehow, oh, shit, I've got to fill in six weeks. They might not. Even, they might end up being an Uber driver for the next six weeks. It doesn't matter. Right. But I th- but these, these other businesses that are developing, are, are arriving where you can actually sort of say, okay, I'm out of business for the next six weeks. I'm going to go and do that. Right. I'm, you know, they might be on a Fedora bike for all I know, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, See, it, it's not necessarily 
I'm not saying you're going to go from being an engineer to an Uber driver, but the point I'm making is that these other casualisation type jobs are going to start to fill your week out over time. I think there's a new phenomenon. Well, let, let me ask you then, you know, from, from the home loan perspective, I mean, if, if the majority of our, our, you know, workers are all independent contractors living from contract to case. contract, yeah. so how do they then get credit cards and home loans and, you know, how, how do they then finance their life when they have no financial stability um, in that? That's a good point. And um, one of the things the Royal Commission right now is investigating is whether or not in my case, in the case of my my members, so I've got 2,000 people who work for me across Australia who um, in any one week, depending on the number of inquiries coming through, may not have anything to service. And right. they've they got time. They've got spare capacity mm. is a better way of putting it. Um, where they have been okay up until more, up to date is that they get, for every deal they do, they get paid not only up front, but they get paid an annualised payment every year, which actually comes together get every month, which allows them to smooth out these ups and downs. Mm. So one of the things the Royal Commission is actually looking at is whether or not those individuals who do those, broker those mortgage deals, should be entitled to those annualised payments and what is it that they're doing for the customer. Right. And if the Royal Commission comes out and says, well, they're not doing anything for the customer, which they should be, but in my case they should be, our guys should be, but if they're not, then the Royal Commission might say, well, they should not get that annualised fee, in which case they'll have lack of income. So the thing that drove what you said was a problem for your, that you first identified was mm. if i got to put somebody off, they're not getting paid anymore. The, the point is they're not getting paid anymore. I don't think they care too much if they're not being busy. I think where they do really care is if they're not getting any fucking money. The employee. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. That's the deal, right? They need, everyone needs financial stability. You, you have to pay, day. you know, your, you got you bills. Got, you got bills. You got kids in schools. You got, mortgages. you know, mortgages. And, and car payments. And so in my case, to answer your question, my guys still get paid even if they're not doing deals. Right. Because they get paid on the deals they've already done. Right. And they get paid until the day that loan expires completely. Now, they get paid less and less each year because as the loan pays down, they only get a percentage of the amount outstanding. Right. But, so, but nonetheless, they do get paid. So, yeah. So, so but, 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 but on the flip side of it, um, in my, my business, even if they're getting paid, these guys could actually earn more money if they wanted to, mm. if they want to go and do something in a casualised environment. So, right. So they're basically sitting around... The 2,000 brokers were for me basically sitting around waiting for the phone to ring for someone to say, could you come soon because I want to borrow some money. So, and, and, and the, that's a, the exact situation there is what if one area of that example, one area, it was booming, you know, people were buying houses all the time, there was heaps of mortgages, they had too much work on in another area, it was, it was dead. Yeah. Well, you know, well, well, in that sense, why not? This person is in the dead area. Why not support? Well, we do that in our business, so we know where the busy areas are mm. and where the dead areas are. But it doesn't really happen in lending that way. Um, mm. Yeah, it's marginal. There might be someone might not be as busy as the in, the guy in Ipswich might, in Brisbane might not be as busy as the guy in town, but it's only marginal. But if for some reason the guy in uh, Ipswich has got ten blokes contractors working for him. And his business is down by you know ten percent. Um, then we do encourage some of those guys to go into the city office. Right. But we don't <clears> control it. We just encourage them. But you're right. It's <clears> it's, it's, it's utilization of capacity. So what we're doing is that on a bigger scale yep. across all industries. You know. So we're breaking down those industry boundaries. So your skill set 
might not just be applicable to your little network in your industry. There might be someone in a completely different industry in a completely different state who's looking for your exact skill set at that time to help them. And so our our nationwide net gives you the finds you those opportunities you never would have found before. And that's why I'm saying I think this <clears throat> marketplace that you're building is uh, always solutions tend to follow societal changes and structural changes. And I think what you are why your business is successful is because you are actually following a structural cha- trend and a structural change and trend. Mm-hmm. We're experiencing in my industry, um, and I think there's probably across the board, chartered accounting firms, CPAs. I mean, they, they go through period, the CPA guys, the chartered accounting guys, where, in, where the, if they're doing compliance work, and I'm talking about sort of the smaller type guys, um, they get really busy, you know, June, July, August, September, or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden things just drop off for them. Right. And, and, but you've got to employ these people. And, mm. you know, there's a general rule in accounting firms that they want to be 75% billable hours. In other words, for every 100 hours they work, they want to be able to bill 75 hours. Yep. Otherwise, the, the, and because the accounting firms, what they do is they work out, if I'm paying you 100 bucks an hour, I've got to bill you out of 250 bucks an hour. Right. And I've got to bill you out of $250 an hour for 75% of the time that you work for me. Yep. So... Otherwise, I'm losing no on you. And there's good, there is good underutilized time. In that example, when a company has said, I want to achieve 75% product, you know, billable hours, that other 25% is there for training and admin and yeah. leave and all those sorts of things, which is important. And people so, go and have a smoke or yeah, have a cup of tea or whatever. We're not saying, hey, you, you need to have your employees on 100% billable and they need to do all that stuff in their own time. I mean, a bit, you, there but, is but, a balance. But in that accounting example, it's billable hours per week. So <clears> what happens in the, a lot of times in accounting, for, especially today, as compliance has been sort of to some extent being watered down and, uh, you know, the MYOBs and the QuickBooks and the zeros are taking a lot of that work away. Mm. Um, these accounting firms are finding themselves a shit. What am what are my staff in January, February, March? You've got nothing to do. Like, there's no accounting work to do. Right. So they they, they can't make it up. No. Um. So there's a good example where these guys. But I don't want to lose these guys because I've trained them up. I got them their CPA. You know, they're people I trust. Exactly. The client likes dealing. Mm. My, my clients who will come back in May, June, July. They like dealing with Joe or Mary or whatever it is. Um. How do I keep them? And there's an example where there is you know this prop. I don't know, but I can see it happening with. Digital, the digital economy taking a lot of the, the business away and leaving in blank periods where they're mm. not doing bookkeeping and shit like that, all the boring stuff they used to do, that, that, that they'll need something like your platform to help them sort of smooth out those periods and give them work. Yeah, every, every business owner, no matter what they're in, has experienced peaks and troughs. There are times yeah. where it's super busy and times when it's not. And so our aim then is for the companies that are in the troughs because they, never, they don't happen to everyone at the exact same time, you know? When when defence industry is booming and there's so much work on, you know, mining's on a decrease. Then all of a sudden we have a mining boom and defence is on the down low. So then it's, okay, well, what are we going to do with those engineers? Do we just see mass, you know, um, employees shifting across industries, which which is, you know, it's possible, but... Or, or can we smooth that out so that the next... The next trough is not as bad, you know. Yeah. The, the companies have more cash flow and they can keep their employees and... You know, you've invested so much training and mentoring into these people. Like, get the return. Don't just cut them away because all you're doing is cutting away that value. Then you may, or you may also make it hard for yourself. Right. It's fucking hard <laughs> enough to find good employees as it is. Um, you know, that, that's a hard thing. Yeah. And you do invest a lot into them. And, um, you know, and you, you know, you, and they invest equally into you as well. So, yeah, I know I get it. I, I think this is a good business. I like the idea. I, I don't know whether you, how you finance the work, but it seems to me if you execute properly, you are um, 
able to, if you are able to execute properly, you are going to drive this business bench on into what I think is a new phenomenon, a new st- a structural change, and it's here for good. Mm. And I think that makes sense. And that smoothing is very, very important. Yeah. And we were, we always say what we're trying to do is we're trying to give businesses the agility and the flexibility of that gig economy, but with the stability of full-time work and full-time employees. It is the gig economy. Yeah, it is. But, it's but a sharing well, economy. As well. Within stability, creating that win-win. Yeah, no, you know? no, no, and you've got a, you've got a nice sort of ring fenced it, and it's structured, and it's sort of safe as possible. It's secure, it's sensible, it's logical. Uh, uh, now you've you've brought logic to it. Mm. I, I mean, in a mathematical sense, proper yep. logic. Tim, I always ask everybody would they like would ask me a question. What's the question? I'm asking you all the questions. What question would you like to ask? Me? <laughs> Um, so I had a few, but um, one that you I only get one. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one that I've found is, uh, you know, you, you've done a lot of businesses that are disruptive and, and change the way that industry operates. Um, to do that requires a lot of industry education on your new model and how it works. And even through our conversation now, you can see like there is an education part of Bench on mm. how do we educate the, the industry to mm. be able to understand what this is, how best to use it. So I'm after your advice on how do you educate a market on a new concept that people haven't heard of before? Oh, I used the media to do it. I used the media. So I had a partner, which was um, Channel 9, um, and we're going back a long time when there wasn't any digital media as such. Um, it was just sort of being introduced. 9MSN had just formed. So this is back in 99. So I used mainstream television and uh, I used radio a little bit and I, knew, I used – when you do television, when you use TV media or as a medium um, – the, the newspapers tend to pick it up and then they run with it and they'll write it as long as it's interesting. Mm. It's got to be interesting. It's got to, you've got to, it's got to be simple, simply broken down and simply delivered. And it's got to be interesting. It's got to fix a problem and it's got to have a little bit of controversy around it if you can possibly do it. So I always picked a, an opponent and it was easy. We had banks, so I can always right. pick a bank. Yep. So, so I use media. So what you're doing right now is you're using media. So the new media is... Podcasts like this, for example, mm-hmm. um, but digital is the big opportunity for you. So, it, it, any education needs a medium or mediums yep. to deliver. You just have to find the mediums that are going to deliver. You're not going to get on the current affair. Uh, <laughs> right. It's not you know, because it's not because it's not a retail thing. Mine mm-hmm. was a retail product. Yours is not a retail product. Yours, I don't know, we'll call it wholesale. I don't know. It's not retail product. So it's it's not it's not your mainstream television. Um, it's probably not even mainstream radio either. It's, it's sort of, it's complex. Mm. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain in a couple of minutes. Yep, it is. You need yeah. to get into conversations like this. You know, I don't even see the Finn Review writing about it. I, I just think, well, if it does, it'll get buried somewhere where you, no one's going to read it. It's, right. they'll, they'll, you've got to think of a way to turn this into an interesting concept and not to say it's not interesting, but what I mean by that is, <laughs> I mean, I, and I think you ought to break it down to as low as common denominator, which is sort of what I was trying to do before we started on air today. Mm. Um, you've got to break it down into, use terminology that everyone's familiar with, like gig economy, sharing economy. You know, uh, when you first started explaining to me when we're off air, um, it, was, it's, it was too intellectual. Like too much industry jargon and... Too much stuff I couldn't understand what the fuck you're talking about. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, and then, but as we started to break it down, I, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. It's sensible. Yeah. So, 
you need to start a maybe it's going to it's going to come down to your delivery and you, I guess I think to be honest you got to sharpen up your delivery on the explanation of what you do right don't think of me if you want to if you want to spread the word don't think of me as as someone from PwC who you're trying to do a deal with because they'll understand it because you know they they talk that's their language right bring it down a few notches you know like uh, where do you come from me yeah where uh, you grow Br- Brisbane yeah. Brisbane whereabouts. A new farm right near the city. Is that, is that a fancy area or? A... It wasn't back then. Okay. It is now. Well, okay. It is now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere up there, everywhere is fancy now, I guess. But uh, yeah. what you got to do is uh, defancify yourself. I mean, like, I just think, I'm not saying you're acting fancy, but you know, I don't mean that. <laughs> I've never I'll, been accused of that no, but No, what I mean is, but, yeah, but in, t- in terms of your delivery, it's, it, you've got to work out how to simplify this into its lowest common denominator. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, I think you've got to use terms that are really... Uh, um, Simple, understandable, across the board, universally understood. Like that's, even that's, even bench on's hard. It, it doesn't necessarily. Once once you told me what you were doing, I understood what bench on was. Right. Bench on doesn't tell me the story straight up. No, and see that's where we're at in terms of the business. Is we've come to that point where the people who understood that initial concept of why we did it, that we've got them now. They're, they're using yeah, the yeah. platform. We're now going wider because we see the applicability of this to other industries and it's about, all right, how do I create a, um, a story or a theme that everybody will understand that isn't inside that subcontracting consulting industry? Yeah, yeah I understand. Um, and, and, that, and if you want to talk to everybody, you've got to talk to everyone's, everybody's language. And, right. I mean, Uber's like genius at it. Like they're, they're the best mm. for my money. I mean, and by the way, their model's complex. It's yep. quite complex. Um, but they've sort of broken it down into being really un- easily understood re- over a very fairly short period. Um, and there's there's lots of people there that you can learn from, but it's probably not, I'm probably not a good example, the wizard business, because I use none of the new technologies, I, I or the new delivery platforms, none none of them, you know, in terms of the media. I'm mm-hmm. talking about, I just use mainstream television. Right. And that was because he was my partner. So that's the deal I did with him. And, and we just, and by the way, it took years like I think we probably would have spent close to you know over a period of seven or eight years probably a hundred million dollars. That's a lot of money mm. in television advertising and right. in program advertising to deliver a brand and uh, and and break it down into a, to what what was understandable. And startups uh, certainly don't have that type. They don't of have hundred million dollars. No. <laughs> but 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 yeah. I can only get to their audience who watched their TV show, the footy show, whatever it was. Um, mm. I could just get to their audience. And bear in mind, I'm a retail product. But I can only get to their audience. Um, whereas what you are doing now, you're t- you need to try all the audiences. I mean, mm. I don't think you're an Instagram sort of a type. You don't no, an Instagram no. product. You know, you're not a Facebook product. No, it's a we're, we're, in in terms of social, we do all of our work on LinkedIn because yeah. we're, dealing, LinkedIn we're dealing with CEOs and managing directors yeah, and yeah. HR people. And yeah, you're more a, a LinkedIn type product. Mm. Um, and I guess um, maybe what you need to do is start writing articles on LinkedIn about you know the the changes in casualization and um and, and or uh you know underemployment i mean maybe mm. you need to start to sort of come up with these discussions around these they're, they're, they're big political issues too they're they're big they're, they're important issues the afr mm. you know and it, it can be say you know tim wormsley from bench on has written an, an op-ed an opinion piece on casualization but talk about how it's changing you know and, and how there's a structural change occurring mm. everyone loves that shit and then and then you can just sort of tap in. And one of the things we found in our research, in our business, see all of a sudden you're introducing people to that. 
you know, that, right. that concept. I mean, clearly you're not going to get into the CBD column, you're not going to get into the current affair, you're not going to get into that retail stuff. But you need to sort of talk in the op-eds and start talking about these concepts, right? these change in the structure of how the world is and the world economy is operating. Yep. And, and m- maybe that's the way you do it and establish yourself as an expert in this area. Yep. And then people say, well, what, how, what does he do? Well, uh, and you want people to ask a question. Right. Who's Tommy Hilfiger? Who's Tim Wormsley? <laughs> yeah. What's Bench on? Yep. And you, you want them to do, oh, shit, hang on. I can use that in my business. Maybe that's the way forward. I don't know. I, look, I'm be, I think what you're doing here is, is, a, is smart and I think there is a big opportunity here and I can see... I always say this, you make money in a rising tide, so you are definitely in a rising tide. Casualisation mm-hmm. and underemployment and gig economies and shared economies, all that stuff, sharing excess capacity is effectively what we're talking about here, yep. is a rising tide. You just have to work out how you express that to everybody. Mm. That's what I think. Okay. This is a good start. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there'll, there'll be a couple hundred thousand people this month download these podcasts, so... There you go. <laughs> Explained. Really nice to meet you. Thanks, Mark. All the best Appreciate here. it.